did a great job, Michael, and I was a little bit slow getting up the words that said, this is the word of the Lord. And you were right. It's still the word of the Lord, even if it doesn't come up on the screen. So that's, uh, so that's good. Uh, we are continuing our series in 1 Thessalonians. And we're up to chapter 3 as Paul is expressing his care and concern for this little church that he had started in, um, uh, in, this, in this town called Thessalonica. I'm going to pray for us that God would help us to concentrate Sunday night and uh, that you might be switched on. Remember, at the end of the sermon, we have an opportunity for Q&A. So if you've got questions on the way through, write them down, maybe on the back of your Care and Connect card, or some of you are just so smart, you'll remember your questions and we can have them uh, as a discussion at the end. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this living word. Thank you that we can hear it in safety and peace here tonight. Lord, would you challenge and change us? We thank you that that prayer won't be in vain because you are present here by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray it boldly in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I want to start with uh, a, a little question. What would you expect? If you go to the beach, what would you expect to find at the beach if you go to the beach? Sand, great answer. That's the one particularly I'm looking for. Sand and water. Okay, great. Water, sand and water. If I went for the third thing, because I was looking for sand and water, so that's good. If I went for the third thing, what's the third thing you'd expect to find at the beach? Sun, people, waves. Yeah. Depends where you go to the beach, I guess. Um, the British have beaches with pebbles on them, don't they? So, you know, maybe no sand or, or sun, actually, on reflection. Uh, so that's if you go to the beach. If you go to the sails, what do you hope you get at the sails? A bargain, right? No, nice. Although I don't think people go to the sales anymore, don't we? Just click to the sales. Yep, show me the best price. Uh, what happens if you go to look at your lawn at the moment? What do you find? <coughs> Dead, yeah, dirt, yeah. I don't think there's very much else. If anyone has a green one, basically we can all look down our noses at them, can't we? And just go, well, you're clearly doing something illegal, I think, basically. Because who's hand-watering their garden? We're working really hard on hand-wording a very few. We've got like an Australian survivor going, and uh, you know, a couple of those ones get a hand-water. But your lawn doesn't. Well, what, what about when it comes to being a Christian? What would you say you can expect if you're a Christian? Love. Oh, that's a good answer. I hope that's the case. What, what else can we expect if we're a Christian? Silence. We can expect silence. You can expect to be gathered together with a group of people. Inside. Here's, here's the burden of the passage tonight. The, the passage tonight is going to suggest that if you're a Christian, you could reasonably expect persecution. You could reasonably expect persecution. Now, I hope love, maybe a little bit of silence thrown in, an appropriate measure, but, but persecution. And, and when I say that word persecution, what do we mean? Elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus just refers to it as trouble. Or in this passage, it turns up as trials. And what's persecution? Persecution is where being a Christian results in opposition from others who don't share the faith with us. And this opposition kind of is on a continuum. Now, on the screen up there, you've got a little girl from Nigeria. I don't know if you, do you guys know that the church is under the pump in Nigeria? Do you know this? Um, if you don't, an organisation like Open Doors will be able to tell you about the persecution in a country like Nigeria. Um, Muslims to the north, largely Christian country, and very violent and uh, horrible interactions, in including kidnapping, um, houses being burnt down, and murder in the name of Jesus. Now, that is persecution in the name of Jesus. 
At the other end, you've got uh, some of us where maybe our friends or family might look down on us if we declare to them that we're Christians. You you might have a, a workplace where you've got some pressure coming from people who think less of you because you own the name of Jesus. Maybe there'll be some friends who won't play with you because you go to crew on a particular day at school. They're all persecution, but but we need to acknowledge that there's a continuum from little persecution through to the the full-on... But here, in our passage tonight, we're going to see, is persecution actually something that Christians should expect? Well, uh, I love space things. I love all things space. Does anyone know what this is a picture of? Somebody in this service does know. Can someone tell me? Sorry? Opportunity. I think this is curiosity, but, you, but you're good. You're good. Uh, so, and it's a rover. So what is it, Graham? It's on Mars. Okay, fantastic. So to give you an idea, this is curiosity. Curiosity is a nuclear-powered robot that we sent to Mars. To what? Well, it's actually a seeking robot. It's gone to seek some things, to find out about the chemistry, but also to seek signs of life. How far away has it gone to seek signs of life? Well, Mars isn't in our neighbourhood. Uh, it's not just down the road. Uh, so something like uh, 316 million kilometres, although I think by the time it travelled there, it was something like 500 million kilometres it had travelled. That's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, this, uh, this rover is probably sort of here to the pot plant, to give you an idea. It weighs 900 kilos. Uh, it's an extraordinary piece of equipment. People have gone to great lengths to find signs of life in a far and distant place. And I want to tell you that 1 Thessalonians is doing a similar thing. How can that be? Well, I want to show you tonight that what Paul has done, he's down here in Athens, is he sent Timothy up to Thessalonica to see if there are signs of life in the little church that he started. How far did he go? Not as far as Mars. Uh, It's probably about 500 kilometres. But in reality, in the ancient world, either by sea or land, that's a really significant journey. And so he's gone from there up north and come back, a journey of about 1,000 kilometres. Now, that's a pretty serious commitment to finding out if there are still signs of life in this little church that had been started. Well, why was he hoping that there'd be signs of life? Well, because Christian gatherings are a beautiful thing. They're not the same as everything else. Now, this is one of our life groups that has been linked together. It's got some things in common. And it's more than just a group of friends. It's actually something profoundly beautiful. It's a gathering of Christians. And I want you to see how that informs our reading here. Have a look with me. We're in chapter 3. Um, if you've got the large print, that might help some of you, so please look closely. Uh, we're in chapter 3, and we're reading verses 1 to 3. So when we could stand it no longer, this is Paul writing to them, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials." So what do we see here? Well, first we see that Timothy was linked with Paul. They're linked together. How, how do I know this? Well, in the passage, it tells me two things that join Paul and Timothy. The first is that he sees Timothy as family. Timothy is family. You notice there that he calls him brother. If we have the Christian faith in common, you and I are brother and sister or brother and brother 
We become family in Jesus. So the first thing is family. And the second thing is common focus, a common focus. You see, he says here that Timothy is a co-worker. He's a co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ. And so here at New Life, we're about seeing new life come to every home. We plan to do this. I don't know if you can see the banner over there. We plan to do this by giving the message of new life. That's our common focus. And we live together as a family of believers by living the message of new life. When we do that together, this church is more than just a building to sit in occasionally. It expresses family. And so that's what's going on. And we've got a little resume about Timothy. You might think, how did Timothy come into the story? Well, here's Timothy's backstory. It's kind of like this is the Marvel movie that would come out later, right? It's in Acts chapter 16. And here we find Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So who's Timothy? Young bloke who's a believer. His mum is a Jewish believer, so someone who grew up a Jew but is trusting in Jesus. And his dad is a Greek. Now, we're not actually told his dad is a believer. And so it's possible that his dad wasn't and his mum was. Now, that makes him a very interesting character, doesn't it? But he has a great reputation, and, T- and Paul goes, I need some young legs on my little team. So, Timothy, come with us. And Timothy is sent from Paul to do two jobs, and they're very important. He's he's sent to strengthen the faith of the believers in Thessalonica and to encourage their hearts, to strengthen and to encourage. And so that's what Timothy was doing as he took this inquiry from Paul all the way up to faraway Thessalonica. Now, it's been a difficult time in our life together as a nation, really. And it's been difficult because right on our doorstep, there has been an imminent threat. Now, that's a pretty amazing picture, isn't it? Like, I don't know how that picture was taken, but there's a little hamlet of houses and the fire is just bearing down on them. And we know that in countless places around, from um, up north all the way down to south, people have had their houses destroyed, haven't we? We've seen that happening. And so you know what happens when you get that alert on your phone? It says, have you got your plan ready? Put your plan into practice. We're supposed to be prepared. What's no good when you get the text from the RFS saying, stay or go, put your plan into practice. You go, oh, plan. Yeah, I know what I should do. Maybe we can get a ladder out and I'll try and get some leaves out of the gutter. Is that the time to be doing it? No. With an imminent threat, we need to have been prepared before. So Paul is going to say they needed to be prepared as well. Have a look at what happens here. I'm going to read from that, pick it up from verse 3 so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. So what we're saying here, it says in, um, in the book of Acts, It says that Paul was in Thessalonica for three Sabbath days. Now, at its shortest time period, that would mean two weeks, right? So he was there on a Saturday, I'm sorry, on a Saturday, go for a week, 
Saturday, go for a week, Saturday. That would be three Sabbath days, right? Of course, it could have been five weeks, you see, but it's a very short period of time. And I want you to see that in that period of time, Paul had taught them that they would be persecuted. He started a church from scratch and had enough time in his three weeks to teach them, well, it's a really important lesson. Not only did you know Jesus is Lord, not only do you need to know how to follow him, but be aware you will be persecuted. Now, if you gave me three sermons to start a church, I'm not 100% sure by sermon number three, I would have got to telling you that you were going to be persecuted. But Paul says here, I, I told you, and it turned out that way. What happened in Thessalonica was a whole bunch of people didn't like what Paul was preaching, and they started a riot in the town, and they got to the door, and they demanded that the guys, the Christians, who were putting Paul and his friends up, throw them out so they could beat them up pretty dire situation right and so it did turn out that way just as Paul had predicted now they didn't get thrown out but they took off in the night and didn't go back and that's why he has to write a letter to them so here's the thing notice what he says here that we were destined for it you know some people tell us that God has a wonderful plan for your life God has a wonderful plan for your life that's great right but the people who tell you God has a wonderful plan for your life do they also tell you that you may be destined for persecution If you're listening in the podcast, there's crickets in here, right? Okay. We don't know. That, that's, a, that's a very unusual thing to say, isn't it? And it says here that we're destined for persecution. And I guess we ask, is that really true? Is that really true? I want to give you four reasons to believe that it is actually true, and they come from Jesus. The first reason is that Jesus warned people that persecution would come. Do you remember the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower? or the seeds, or whatever you want to call it these days. There's all sorts of trendy names for it, right? But, but one, of the, one of the seeds falls on rocky ground. And this is what Jesus says about that one in Mark chapter 4. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Jesus warned his followers that some people would fall away when trouble and persecution comes. Now, if I warn you that you need to make sure your helmet is well attached when you get into orbit, that's a warning, but it's unlikely you'd ever use it, right? Has everyone followed me? It's, it's, it's not a very useful warning, right? Jesus is telling them you need to watch out because trouble and persecution will come. The only reason he's warning them is because it's likely. So first of all, we see Jesus warned them. Secondly, we see that Jesus encouraged them. In, uh, in chapter 5 of Matthew, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus actually tells us that you'll be blessed if people persecute you. Why? Because you'll be recognized as one of the sons and daughters of God. So he warned them, he encouraged them, and then he called them. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Now, today we think, cool, take up your cross and follow Jesus. But do you know what, guys? Everyone in their society who picked up one of these, what was going to happen to them? Does anyone know? Death. If, you, if Jesus says, pick up a cross and follow me, what he's saying is, I will die. If you want to follow me, pick up your cross and come follow me. If we're followers of Jesus, would we expect not to be persecuted from the Lord who took up a cross and walked before us? 
we're following him. And so we're called to receive persecution. We're also assured, though, because that all sounds pretty heavy, doesn't it? Have a look in John chapter 16, verse 33. It says, in this world, you will have trouble. Well, that's hardly encouraging, Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying, in the end, I will be victorious. I will win, and you with me. Should we expect persecution? Yeah, they knew that we should expect persecution. Tonight, you now know that we should expect persecution. So what did Paul do for this early church? Well, what he did was he sent Timothy to encourage them because he knew it was going to happen. Hey, has anyone here done this? Well, I'll go back. Has anyone jumped out of a plane before? It's like, you have not. Have you? Really, truly. That's so awesome. I love it. I've been surprised by people every day. There have been people in every service who've done this. Uh, now, if you jump out of a plane, I've heard people say, man, that's really living, right? That get a rush of adrenaline. Was it awesome? Okay, that's really good. Some of you might just think that's just completely crazy. And rather than really living, it's getting close to really dying, right? Okay. Uh, for others who might be slightly younger, this might be really living. Uh, you know, it's summertime. I've got my full clothes on and I wandered into a a shopping centre which foolishly doesn't have any fences around the fountain. That's really living, right? Well, some of us, maybe uh, it's more getting a little bit of air on our bike um, before we end up in hospital with some sort of um, injury. But that's really living, right? I want you to see here in the passage what really living looks like for Paul. Have a look at verse 6 and following. But Timothy has now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He told us that you always have pleasant memories of us. Isn't this an awe moment? Oh, no, you're not paying enough attention, are you? This is really lovely, okay? He says, he tells us that you always have pleasant memories of us. That's right, okay. And that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. That's right. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we're encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. This is so beautiful. Timothy has brought back a personal report. It's not just a letter. Timothy goes, I've seen them and they love us still. Isn't that great? It's really good. And then we see that Paul is much more a pastor than just a planter. Do you, have you guys heard the turn of phrase church planter? We, we planted a church here eight years ago, a, a little tiny church, and it, it's growing. Praise God for that. But you could think Paul's a church planter, right? He's just dropping, dropping little church uh, pot plants all over the place, right? He's gone to Thessalonica. He's there for three weeks. Well done. See you later, guys. I've got to go off and save the rest of the world. But it isn't like that. Paul's, it, it says here that night and day, Paul was praying for them, that he longs to see them. And so I see a pastor here not just a church planter, that he longs to return and to care for the little pot plant that under God he was able to plant. What, what a beautiful picture that is. I want to ask us, he says here, now we really live because you are standing firm in your faith. And I want to ask us, guys, when we think of when I really live, who's at the center of that most of the time? Me. When I've done something awesome. And Paul is so committed to others that he said, I really live when you are standing firm in your faith. Can you see that? So I guess I want to challenge this church. Would we ever be excited about somebody else's faith? 
Would we ever be excited to hear, you're still standing firm. I'm delighted to see you here. Would that ever encourage our hearts? Well, there's one more thing I wanted to, uh, to think about in, the, in this last section here. Um, does anyone plan their holidays? Is anyone a holiday planner? Some of you are. Does anyone never plan, just gets out of bed one day and goes, we're going on a holiday? Just as long as you're not in the same family and married to each other, it should work out fine. But here's the thing. The joy of holiday planning, right? The joy of holiday planning is that you can enjoy your holiday twice. You enjoy it in the planning if you're a planner, right? You enjoy, oh, I can't wait to X, Y, and Z. And then you enjoy it when you actually go and do it, right? Whereas the higgledy-piggledy people just enjoy their holidays once. Uh, anticipation's a beautiful thing. Maybe you don't plan your holidays, but you can look forward to a plate of cupcakes. That is exactly what supper tonight is going to look like, see? No, it's a lie. But it's going to be good, isn't it, Damo? Where are you, mate? It's okay. <laughs> well, whet your appetite with that promise, guys. There's some anticipation for you. Or, or maybe some of you are just going, I can't wait until the day when I graduate and I finish my study and I'm actually out and doing the thing. You're anticipating. You're looking forward to the outcome. H- have a look at what Paul is anticipating here. We're in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. See, Paul has two anticipations here. He's still dreaming of going to be with the Thessalonians. He's going, man, I I long to be with you guys. But I want you to see, as well as dreaming, he's also praying. He's praying for them. It's not just an idle thought. You guys have heard my rant on thoughts and prayers, haven't you? And our, our, our society can't say thoughts and prayers anymore, so what do we say? Thoughts. Our thoughts are with you. Oh, good. I'm delighted that you're thinking of me. It has no material impact on me other than to know that you haven't forgotten me. When we have thoughts and prayers, something can happen because there is the God of the universe potentially answering our prayers. And so Paul just didn't have thoughts about the Thessalonians. He was praying for them, that a real change might take place in them. And the other longing he has is for them to be ready for the final day, that they might be full of great fellowship, deep love, and deep holiness on the day when Jesus comes back. See, Paul's anticipation, his longing is the return of Jesus where one day the risen Lord Jesus will return and say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. That's the anticipation that he has before us. And I want to ask you guys, are you looking forward to that day? A day when there'll be no more fires, when there'll be no more tragic death, when there'll be no unnecessary disease, when you and I will live in perfect, restful fellowship with our Saviour. Do you look forward to that day? Good. Delighted. How might we, how might we respond? I, I want to suggest three things. First of all, can anyone who doesn't have a large print Bible read that sign? It says, warning, deep holes, dangerous currents, slippery rocks. Now, if you see that, how would you respond to that sign? Let's go in there. Yeah, okay. I, th- I figured that would probably be the response from this. Uh, from this. But here's the thing. Even if you did go in there, okay, if you went in there past that sign, you would be going in with what we would call your heads up, right? 
you wouldn't be able to say, oh my goodness, I fell in a deep hole with swift currents. Because at least you'd know in advance as you got swept out to sea through a deep hole that I should have expected it, right? And so here's the thing. If you've heard this message tonight, it would be a a mistake to expect the Christian life to be easy, wouldn't it? You've heard tonight that we are destined for persecution. And if you've been paying attention to the world around you, you know the temperature's going up, don't you? So you can't sit here tonight and be, be not expecting that persecution is coming. It would be a mistake to think that life would be easy. Secondly, some of us might want to pray, God, help me to deepen my love for these people here. Apparently, we're family. Who knew? I share sausage rolls with them once a week. Must make us family. No, that's not how we become family. We become family when we get beyond these conversations. Happy New Year. How was your holiday? How about those fires? Man, it's been hot recently, hasn't it? If you've got a fourth conversation or a fifth one, you might find out something about the other person. And guys, all I'd suggest to you is have supper, enjoy, have great conversations. But it's really hard to get to this stuff over a sausage roll. And so what I want to encourage you is the depth of fellowship we need here needs another context. And so life groups are where that happens. And we're putting together our life groups at the moment, our midweek groups where we meet around God's word and we pray. And my encouragement would be, if you want to go deeper, please pray, God help me to go deeper in love with others here. But you might like to take a really practical step and say, I'd like to be in a life group. Write that on your Care and Connect card. That would be a great step towards getting connected here and experiencing the family that we are in Jesus. Well, thirdly, I want to suggest something that uh, lets me tell you a little bit about my holiday. I, I was on holidays recently up at a beautiful place called Copacabana Beach. Wonderful. No, not that Copacabana Beach, uh, one that's up on the central coast. And uh, when it's not utterly freezing, I really like being in the water and body surfing, right? And, and when you're body surfing and the wave's coming, you kind of brace yourself and the wave breaks. But if, you've, if you're ready for it, you can lean into it and, you, and you'll stay where you are. If you're not ready for it, well, it kind of pummels you and you get kind of blown away. Of course, the other really cool thing that can happen when you're in the surf is if somebody gets distracted, right? They're turning around with their back to the waves and they start saying, don't push your brother like that or something hypothetically, right? Something like that. And they don't know that the wave's coming. What, what happens to those people? They get smashed and turned into a little washing machine motion and then they get their underpants full of sand and I mean, other, other terrible things happen, right? So if you're not ready for it, if you're not ready for it, you get swept off your feet. I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, we've heard tonight about a wave that's coming. And I want to suggest to you that we must stand firm as the, as the day draws near. And if you see someone with their back to the waves and you care for them, what would you do? Well, you'd warn them, wouldn't you? No. <laughs> no, you get your camera out and record it. Is that right? No, brothers and sisters, if we get this, we would stand firm ourselves and we would build a fellowship of people looking out for one another. See, this year, Jesus is calling us and he's calling us with a particular focus, a focus of growing and maturing apprentices to Jesus. That's what we're all on about this year. And so I want to encourage you to take your Jesus apprenticeship to the next level. I want your faith this year to be strengthened and encouraged so that you might emerge from this year ready to stand in the face of whatever the evil one will throw at us.
Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you're a good and gracious God. We thank you for your warning that we've received from your word tonight. We pray that we would indeed be a family here with a common focus and that we might stand ready for the persecution to come, that we might be found standing still and strong on the final day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty, we have an opportunity now for questions. So if there are things that you would like to ask about the Curiosity Rover or uh, about any of the things that I've um, preached on tonight, or maybe you've just got a, a question that's occurred to you through the week, I'd love to hear those. That's what our Q&A time is for. So uh, love to hear your questions. Naomi, fantastic. So we know in Acts it references the early church and it talks about how they met with each other daily. Yes. Would the churches that Paul planted, would they have met more often than just on the Sabbath? I I think it's a great question. Um, And it appears that that was probably the case. Um, So uh, the Sabbath day was the, the Saturday. So if you had a Jewish background, you would have been meeting on a Sabbath. It seems like the early Christians relatively early started to shift their day of meeting to Sunday because that was the resurrection day. Um, And I think if you shrink your world down from a big city where we're all disconnected to a village-sized space where there's community, I reckon they would have seen each other every day, either at the market on their way out to the fields or whatever, and that they would have chosen to have this interaction more regularly. Was it formal all the time? I don't know. But I reckon it was far more interactive and far more regular than our once or twice a week, just by virtue of the communal living. So I hope I see you up at Woolies, right? Pushing it, if you live in Oran Park, up at Woolies or at Norellan Town Centre, right? We bump into each other. That's always great. But I think if you shrink down to these smaller towns, they would have seen each other all the time. And so more natural fellowship opportunities would turn up than maybe the formal ones we need to seek. Does that help? Yeah, I guess I was just wondering because what you talked about with there was a lack of opportunity for him to preach about persecution, but maybe there was oh, yeah, inf- totally. informal ones. Yeah, yes. yes. Did, did Paul only get three shots of it? No, I reckon he, he spoke every day probably. There's a beautiful bit in Acts about a guy called Eutychus. Have you guys heard of Eutychus? And so Paul is, uh, it says, as Paul preached on and on into the night, a young man called Eutychus was falling asleep in an upstairs window. As Paul preached on, he fell into a deep slumber, and when he was completely asleep, it says, he fell out the window, down one story, onto the ground, and was picked up dead. That obviously disturbed the meeting. Paul walked downstairs, brought him back to life, and do you know what happened next? Paul preached until morning. No warning that the guy had died, literally died because he was preaching so long. He just kept going for it. So, short answer, I'm sure it was a lot more than three opportunities. And he got a lot of stuff packed in. Does that make sense? It's a great question, though, Naomi. Thank you. Um, someone else? Question to follow up. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Yeah, look, uh, we're really uh, challenged by him praying most earnestly night and day, etc. Yeah. Um, can you just make a comment briefly on... What is lacking in their faith? Like, is it the fact that Annie spent the two to five weeks there? 
um, you know, what, what, what's he talking about? Because I've heard about weak faith, I've heard about strong faith. Yeah. What's this lacking in your faith? In I reckon, verse 10. Yeah, in verse 10. I think that's an excellent question, Steve. What, what is it, given that Paul has got through the Messiah, he's got through to persecution, what is it that could be lacking in their faith? Uh, and I'm not convinced that, uh, that some of the answer isn't actually in the text here. And so I think that the next section will talk something about uh, what happens to those who have already died. Um, will they be raised? And so come back next week for that inside, exciting instalment. Um, and, and what might be the will of God for me? There's a variety of questions, it seems, that Paul has a bash at answering here. Um, are they the only things? Probably not. There's probably more than that, Steve. But it seems that there are a number of avenues where natural questions have arisen, arisen in this church and they want to ask more. And so Paul's saying, I'm aware you've got lots of questions, guys. I'd love to come back and keep building you up. Did you have something you particularly thought? Steve? No, just one more question. Yeah. I thought that was good, and you may say similar things to this. Uh, verse 13, we often hear about the coming of Jesus, but we don't often hear that he's actually going to come with all his saints. Um, what is all that about? I mean, I, I think he picks it up a bit later on in chapter 4, but I wonder if you wanted to make any comment about that. Yeah. Uh, interesting. So when it says uh, the Lord Jesus will come with, with all his holy ones, is he referring to all the saints or to all the angels? Good question. At this point, I don't have a solid answer for that. Um, but we are told in chapter 4, I don't want to spoil next week's cliffhanger, come back next week, um, but we are told um, in verse 16 of chapter 4, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, suggesting perhaps that it's, it could be angelic host. It could be angels, in other words, that he's coming with. Um, well, why don't we hear more about that? Because we're not interested in this topic at all, I think, Steve. So we're just largely ignorant. So come back next week. All will be revealed. It'll be great. Uh, do we have a follow-up question to that? Thank you. Uh, thanks, Steve. Yep, Karen. The next question will be for someone under the age of 18. So that's, that's what we're looking for. Karen, you're only just over, I know. <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> I'm not sure what my question is. Um, you talk about us, uh, that we should be prepared and expect persecution. I think here where we live, we don't see a lot of that. Um, obviously in these early churches there was persecution and things going on. Was that because um, the new churches were so different to the day and age and so it was expected and that's why they had a lot of persecution? And do we not have that because we're so similar to culture around us? Do you know what I mean? So I'm just saying yeah. you say to expect it but it doesn't feel like there's a lot around us right here. What, what do we do about that? Yeah, really good question. So uh, I think the first thing to say is that the early Christians were hated by everyone pretty good start, right? So if you're a Jew, you thought they were messing up Judaism. So the Jews disliked them. If you're a Roman, you thought that they were missing up the worship to the pagan gods. So you were on the nose with them. Basically, everybody who was everybody disliked the Christians and thought they were messing society up. So if you're a, if you're a new church in that context, you would have been persecuted because you're sticking out like a sore thumb. Your question is, why don't we see more of it um, I think we will see more of it, and it's more insidious. It's kind of at a language level, at maybe even at a law level. So you can't tell people this. You can't say that. It's hate speech to declare this, or, or whatever it might be. That, I think, is happening more at a, at a structural level. 
But, but if you, guys, I want to say, if you speak clearly about Jesus in public, I reckon you are going to trip up and find yourself with somebody pointing a finger back at you pretty quickly. And I guess that's a long way around to say, perhaps because we're not as bold as we could be, we're not as visible as we could be, we weren't, we're not being persecuted. But if I can gently say to you, church, if you think it's because there's no persecution anymore, live a little bit bolder and it'll be revealed to you. It really will. Yeah, so I think, I think we're being a little bit invisible. Uh, the bonus, uh, anyone under the age of 18 question? Oh, Tim, pushing the boundaries. Pushing the boundaries. Keep thinking, guys. I'd love to have a question. Yeah, Tim. Uh, Second last question. It feels like in, in Western culture, our recourse when, we ex- when prominent figures have expressed their faith and have faced consequences... Kanye. Oh, I'm not even thinking of him. I'm thinking <laughs> Christian, maybe Christian-adjacent figures in Australia that have expressed their faith. They've pursued legal means to stop the persecution that has occurred to them. Uh, my question is, how, how much should we approach persecution? How should we approach persecution when it is upon us? Should we attempt to stop it legally, as it has been done in the past, or should we just accept it as a reality and continue? Uh, so here's my answer to that. It's a big question, right? How should Christians engage with law and society? Easy. I've got a one-second answer for you. No, really tough. But here, you thought I had a one-second answer, didn't you? No, I really, I really, really don't, okay? And so I'm going to stumble into this. But here, here's what I'll say briefly. Um, Christians are no more or less entitled in Australian democracy to seek coverage under the law than anyone else. No more or less. So if as a group of people you choose to engage with your democratic rights and power to see law changed in our country, that is a perfectly reasonable response because anyone else in our society can do the same thing, right? So should Christians get organised to win protection for our faith and belief? Boo, no, those Christians shouldn't be allowed to... No, no, we have no more privilege or less privilege than anyone else in society. Go do it if we can exercise our democratic rights with respect to not, uh, we, we don't want to ever do it in such a way that it causes problems for others. So if you're doing it vindictively, go meet Jesus a little. That's a problem. But if you're doing it for defence because there's an opportunity to do it, I'd say go, 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 for, go for gold. Are we being obnoxious when we do it? I think that's kind of, that was the subtext to your question, Tim. Don't we appear obnoxious when we seek to do this? Well, I'd say pray for grace-filled Christians in public life. Yeah? Pray that we might be full of grace, that even as we seek legal opportunities to express our religion, that we're actually warm and winsome, that we represent Jesus and not a bunch of jerks, yeah? And so I would say legal opportunities, go for it. Just don't be jerks. Do it with grace, recognising that you're no more or less entitled than anyone else in Australia to do that. Does that make sense? Come back, question. Do you think there's a point, though, where maybe it's not worth the effort? Uh, <laughs> sorry, I, what I mean by that is, for example, use a workplace. Someone says something about your faith. Yeah. You could, within your rights, go to your HR representative. Or, um, you know, Admittedly, I don't work in many office workplaces. Yeah. But maybe it's not worth the effort, especially considering the amount of money and resources that sometimes goes into these sort of protections that we are... Could yep. that be suited somewhere else in the yep. gospel? So I think it's really helpful, Tim. Sometimes you might not. And we might turn the other cheek and just go, you know what? Jesus told me I'd be persecuted. I'm going to wear that one and I'm going to offer you this one. And that might be a perfectly reasonable response. And I'm not saying all Christians should push back and use every opportunity they have to 
I don't think that's the case. But I don't also think that we should say, ah, world, we're in a democratic society, Christians have no voice, we're not interested in changing society. I think that would be an, can I say this bad word, abdication of responsibility. That would be us saying we hand over our responsibility and we just throw ourselves on the mercy. That's not wise. So neither giving up nor being jerks. Find a gracious middle ground somewhere where we engage wisely. Does that sound all right? It's a great question. It's a really big question for us in society. All right. Do we have an under-18 question? Yeah, Hayden's got one. Fantastic, Hayden. I love that you've been dobbed in. Why don't you just ask me? No, no, run up and ask him. Michael, take the, take the mic up there. Because Hayden's going to ask, uh, Dylan, why didn't you ask your own question? Just, yeah. Hey, Dylan, why didn't you ask your own question? Fantastic. All right, thanks. Thanks very much. Um, Hayden, do you know what? You guys are really welcome. I'd love to have your questions when you have one, but you shouldn't be obligated to ask one, so that's, that's fine. I think that's enough for tonight. Um, if you've got more questions, I love Q&A. Come find me after the service. I'm going to hand back to Michael, who's going to tell us what's happening next.